Hi there. Real quick before we jump into the episode. If you enjoy this episode or any of the other episodes, be sure to give us a follow or subscribe. It would also be great if you shared it with a friend or better yet, left a review so others can know how awesome it is. Thanks so much. And now, the episode. Hey there, Press Starters, and welcome to the Press Start Leadership Podcast, the podcast about game-changing leadership, teaching you how to get the most out of your product and development team and become the leader you were meant to be. Leadership coaching and training for the international game industry professional. Now, let me introduce you to your host, the man, the myth, the legend, Christopher Mifsud. Welcome back to another amazing episode of the Press Start Leadership Podcast, Conversations with Christopher. On this week's episode, we have a longtime friend and colleague, writer, editor, designer in the game industry, Brandis Stoddard. Now, let me introduce you to Brandis Stoddard. Hi, everybody. I'm very pleased to be here today. Excellent. Thanks, Brandis. So, as I said in the introduction, you're a longtime friend and colleague of mine. We've known each other for a long time. We've gamed for a very long time. We worked together on a couple projects. But I know who you are. But not everyone here is going to know who you are. So, I always like to ask my guests, what's your origin story? What is the origin of Brandis? So, um, when the the planet of uh, Dungeons and Dragons was uh, exploding in a distant galaxy. I was uh, jettisoned by people who no longer thought I had any future there and uh, landed on this planet raised by uh, a a mild-mannered and unassuming uh, state court judge and uh, and his wife, a teacher, uh, in Marietta, Georgia. Man, they had no idea, did they? Some portions of this are true. that will be left to the audience to determine. Um, so I grew up in Marietta, Georgia, um, and I got into uh, playing video games on the Apple IIGS and uh, then into tabletop games in um, 1992 or so, thanks to some um, like choose-your-own-adventure-style books with stats that... Um, TSR released in those days. Okay, so it wasn't uh, it wasn't the Steve Jackson sorcery ones because right, those are I think a little better known, but I don't think that any of the ones I was looking at were those. I'd have to dig them all up to tell you who who made all of them. Okay. But I had it in my head because I was eleven that sure. I would somehow be able to backform a real tabletop game from these. And so I was trying to design a tabletop game before having played a tabletop game. Amazing. Um, this did not, what's the word, work. Um, but it was still an interesting experience. Uh, like Ultimately, I was trying to make something that you could recognize as Dragon Quest One in tabletop form. 
because uh, that was my experience of what a, a role playing game was. Sure, right? you, you you were you were so you were coming from the side of role playing games, video game first, mm-hmm. then role playing game second. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, yeah, mine was slightly different experience, but I get where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so in '93, I got into Dungeons and Dragons, uh, AD&D Second Edition, mm-hmm. and um, you know, stuck with that, though I did branch out into a few other tabletop games. It was very self-taught, and so I didn't have other people to introduce me to games they loved. Like mm-hmm. This is a, a time period in which um, a lot of my peers were getting into um, like uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles yep. or um, the, the D6 Star Wars yep. or or whatever you got. And I didn't find those, and so I don't have those those experiences that you and a lot of our other friends have from that time. Yeah, actually, that then those were my core games. Like I did D and D, but the D, the D six uh, Star Wars, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, inherently sadly riffs. But you know, like right. those yep. fantastical worlds uh, were, and Shadowrun even. All right, yep. mm-hmm. those are the ones I was picking up. But cursory. On the outline, because I wasn't doing that, the only game that, because that, D&D wasn't my lifeblood, the only one that I was really looking for was Dark Sun. And I remember waiting for oh, Dark yeah. Sun because it kept getting delayed like a million times, but I kept seeing that poster in the game shop and kept going, when's that game coming out? And then asking the, because as an annoying teenager to the to the clerks, oh, yeah. be like, go oh, away, yeah. kid. And I was like, but Dark Sun, man, this poster's been up for like two years now. When's this freaking game coming out? And they're like, go away. I'm like, all right, well, I'll keep playing riffs or whatever i was playing then elf quest elf quest the rpg i think i picked up a copy of that uh during during that i'm not ashamed that was a cool game so i managed to make friends with um one of the guys at the local walden books who uh, it was it was the guy in the store who had the knowledge of their like role-playing stock and so like this seems weird now. It's it's kind of nonsense now, but it was okay for me to just call up the store, ask for him, and ask what was new in D anD. d And because yeah, because it was very what even is the internet? Mm-hmm. Um, this was a reasonable way to find out what was going on in like product, and so like, I got into Birthright that way, and mm-hmm. I got into Forgotten Realms that way. Um, I wish I'd gotten into Dark Sun, but I, I just missed the boat on that one. Um, I, I wish I'd gotten into Planescape. Like at this point, oh, man. Yeah. I, I wish I had you know Spelljammer. all of the original box sets for Planescape and Spelljammer yeah. because let me tell you the resale of the Planescape box sets is bananas. Well, fair enough. Yeah, there is that. Um, but but yeah, like it was it was a very heady time for for setting design. And uh, a very strange, maybe stagnated time for rules design in D anD. d Oddly, I think those two like fed each other really in, in a positive way. Like the rules being pretty stagnant meant that they were pouring a lot of creative energy into uh, into settings. Um, true, true, and that's why we got so were, many bombastic bombastic settings yeah. back then but. Uh, right, absolutely and also they were much more comfortable then than they 
have been ever since with this setting has its custom rules that you don't use anywhere else. True. True. Cause now, yeah, now it has to be as flexible as possible. Right. Because yep. you want I mean, you think about, yeah. you think about maybe the like um, bloodline and lineage rules of birthright at one extreme and the um, like weapon composition rules of dark sun at the other. And like, those have no business in a campaign that's even like two degrees of separation from each other, right? They're, they're yeah. just they're such different ideas. Um, anyway, but you um, wanted to. Well, you know, if, if that's your life, man. <laughs> well, and that's and that's why we had riffs. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so from there, um, I was staying involved in. D&D through third edition. Mm-hmm. Um, I played a lot in college. Um, then uh, got into doing some uh, freelance editing for uh, a third-party material with um, uh, Dawning Star Operation Quick Launch for our friendly hammock. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that work, uh, Lee hired me to work at Icarus Studios in 2006. Uh, which relocated me to North Carolina. Um, and uh, you and I had met before then, but I think that's where we really got to know each other a lot better. Sure, sure. Yeah, um, that's where there were regular gaming sessions and work yeah. sessions and more work and, sessions probably than gaming sessions, though we wanted yeah. it the other way around. But Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and uh, we also uh, – th- that is also a major time when my experience of tabletop games really diversified widely mm-hmm. because – we were playing Pendragon. You were running Earth Dawn. Um, there was a Song of Ice and Fire campaign. Uh, you ran some Vampire. Just everything under the sun was, you know, getting played after hours in the office, and it was great. It was a really, uh, it was a really wonderful, creative hothouse. Um, that you know, I think everyone needs at least once in their lives mm-hmm. if they're going to be in the gaming industry. Um, it doesn't have to be tabletop games, but you need to play games. have that kind of time where you can just completely sink into it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah we played a lot was of also tabletop yeah. stuff too. That tabletop, sorry, board game stuff, other things yep. like yeah. Yep. Well, and uh, and like we had something like six or eight tabletop games going in every two week cycle, and then every night that I wasn't playing a tabletop game, I was raiding. It, it was sure. just completely insane because world of warcraft was uh at its like worldwide dominance peak mm-hmm. right right then and so it was a, a very heady time um and uh then there were a bunch of shakeups with icarus studios i went over mm-hmm. to Vizeron for a while that didn't work out Mm-hmm. Uh, I came back to I was fortunate enough to come back to Icarus Studios for a few years, and they'd gone from a, an MMO studio to a mobile game studio, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that was still a, a, an interesting and creative time, um, but things had really changed because the studio, studio is so much smaller, and so many of our friends had uh, had scattered to the four winds. Just that's how things go. Mm-hmm. Um, then in 2012, um, 
Wizards of the Coast uh, announced uh, D&D Next as the public playtest phase of 5th edition. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, wow. That's and, cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they had two solid years of public playtest. And so uh, my gaming groups were deeply involved in that and uh, like updating characters with every new packet release. Mm-hmm. And uh, then that campaign just continued with more character updates right into fifth. Um, and yeah, that's, that's been very much my, my gaming experience. Like fifth edition has become unbelievably dominant in the, the tabletop space. Like, D&D has always been you know, the 800-pound gorilla in the room, sure. while I, I guess it's now the 8,000-pound gorilla. It's not, it's not the only thing going, not by a long shot, mm-hmm. but it's never been bigger than it is now. It's just insane how much um, streaming and actual plays and, I mean, the, the pandemic driving people to virtual tabletop spaces has increased its fan base. Definitely. It's it's the known entity for sure. Absolutely. Like it was always a known entity, but it's like definitely a known entity. I think the, the like you could take it to the prevalence of tabletop now is probably where the popularity of wrestling was in the early nineties mm. where like the W you know, like the Monday night wars and stuff like that. It's not, I mean, it's popular with some folks, but not as popular as it was back then. I think that's what the level. It's sort of like what you're talking about is, is like tabletop is now a thing. Right. And it's not yep. like, I mean, it's a thing that's more commonly accepted. It's a thing that there's a lot more variety there. There's, there's a, there's, it's like Baskin Robbins. There's a flavor for everyone. And yeah, it, uh, it's, it's hard you know. to look back now and see how the satanic panic happened. Like that just seems very odd. Well, I, well, I mean, I, maybe I can not, look around and still see where the satanic panic came from, but, uh, oh, I mean, fair enough. Sure. I mean, maybe not you with your ZZ top beard there, but, uh, <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's my, it's, it's my, it's, it's, it's actually, it's at my, it's my double door beard now. It's, but I can do the double, like, but like acceptance has gotten to a place in, uh, in the States, even here in the buckle of the Bible belt mm-hmm. where um, Walmart and target carry Dungeons and Dragons. No one bats an eye. It's not yeah. a topic of conversation. True. It's true. And like, again, like the, the varieties out there, there's bespoke, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can get like custom and like high end grade, like D and D nowadays, mm-hmm. right? Like just, just now launched, uh, Dungeons and Dragons just launched, relaunched with something with Ravenloft, right? Yep. Um, they've brought the, the classic Ravenloft setting into fifth edition with, uh, Van Richten's guide to Ravenloft. Um, that's a, it's a really big deal. Um, they've, greatly diversified the uh, freelance writers they're bringing in for projects. Um, and so the, the cultural breadth of Veneration's Guide to Ravenloft is unlike anything that the game has seen before. Um, hmm. I mean, there are uh, people from India telling stories, telling horror stories about an Indian culture an Indian domain of dread. That's cool. Uh, just as Very an example. Cool, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Similar for Mesoamerica. Um, hmm. It's just, it, it's a really beautiful time. 
That is really nice. And on top of that, there's people that are selling like five hundred, three hundred ninety nine dollar boxes sets. Yeah, for... yeah. So you have Beetle and Grimm's doing um, like player handouts to an incredible level of quality and fidelity. Yeah. So nice. they they have sets that run from yeah, as you're saying, three hundred to five hundred or whatever. I don't yeah. price them. I, I can't afford them. It's cool. I think I think we I think we discussed the price on on another uh, on another conversation with Christopher or another guest. Mm-hmm. It, uh, I just keep bringing it up because it still blows my mind. Because I remember yeah, like like the dice I could get were you know blue or red or green or maybe <laughs> maybe 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 translucent slightly but now there's like metal and gold and like real gold and real diamond you know if you want it you can get it and it's there yep. there for you there's custom tables for your family of of gamers so that you can all eat at your table then open it up and play all your tabletop games and not lose your spot in the game that you were playing because why not you know <laughs> yeah like the the thing is you don't need to sell very many to make it make the project worthwhile so yeah because you got kickstarter now you didn't have that back in the day so you know oh man what kickstarter has done for tabletop gaming in particular is wild and and made my wallet lighter that's for sure oh boy yeah Oh, oh boy yeah I sure do. I sure do like me some Kickstarter these days, though. Well, like, Kickstarter has been a huge part of my career as a freelance writer. Um, yeah, talk about that because, a little bit. Yeah. yeah so, um, let's see. So, in uh, tw- at the very end of 2014, uh, Fifth Head had just come out. So, I I'd been writing my blog for years, and then um, I got asked to a come blog, write for. You say, hold on. A, what's that? A blog I do say. Uh, well, it's where you go on the web and write about things. No, but what's your blog? Uh, my blog is <laughs> uh, brandestoddard.com. <laughs> I'm a helper, Chris. You know, so, never mind. <laughs> That's perfectly fine. You're not the first. You're not the last. It's all good. All right. um, so so brandestoddard.com um, is, is my blog. Um, at the time, I was writing on Blogspot. Now it's on WordPress. Um, thanks to the, the help of uh, our very dear friend, Wendy Holler. Um, and so I'd been writing about D&D all through D&D Next and had moved to talking about 5e, uh, among other gaming topics that the blog covers. Um, and so uh, there was a new gaming website that uh, a guy named Sean Ellsworth and uh, uh, Mike Long had just started up called tribality.com and um, they asked me to come write for them because they always need more writers. That's, that's how it is. You got to feed the beast. Um, the, the beast loves content. And so I started writing for them. The, doing, the beast being D and D players. Uh, pretty much. Yeah. Okay. The, the audience, the blog, <laughs> whichever you want to see is the all devouring force in your life. Sure. Um, so, um, so right. Uh, I started writing the history of the classes for them, and after we've been working together on this for several years, um, Sean Ellsworth decided that he wanted to try to um, release his homebrew setting, the mm-hmm. Seas of Odari, uh, oh, okay, through the Five E Open Gaming License. Um, and so we started a Kickstarter for that. Um, 
our initial ask was 10,000 Canadian, um, which is it's sort of very middle of the road for mm-hmm. first Kickstarter asks. Um, it's, I think it's, it was, at the time was just under uh, 8,000 US. Um, and we wound up getting uh, 52.5 Canadian, which is a, a really nice uh, set of stretch goals. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was doing uh, writing and editing and design and development for for that book, uh, along with a bunch of other friends. Um, I, you know, uh, Colin was already writing for our friend Colin McLaughlin, I should say, was already writing for Tribality at the time. We also recruited um, other folks that Sean knew, other folks that I uh, I knew, um, and we just had a really great creative team for that project. Um, then when that was done, um, it was at the end of um, Seas of Adari, our final stretch goal. We committed to releasing under the Seas of Adari, which was. Uh, an aquatic supplement. Originally, it was going to be just a PDF. We kept writing. Yeah, of course. You know, that's what writers do. Hopefully. So, so now it's been its own new Kickstarter mm-hmm. that was even more successful than the first one. That's um, awesome. Yep, yeah, feel really good about it. And so that's going to be its own hardback release. Um, and so we're in the middle of that now. Uh, mm-hmm. And again, here I'm a writer, editor, designer, developer, kind of wearing whichever hats mm-hmm. you know any given piece of text needs from me. Um, but uh, it's still still very much Sean's baby, mm-hmm. and we just have a you know most of the same creative team back, um, and we're working our way through it. Um, and then I've also. Uh, worked as a developer for Cobalt Press mm-hmm. on their recent Southlands Kickstarter. Um, mm-hmm. So, let's see, I um, wrote for um, uh, the Rain Second Edition. Uh, the, well, that the the setting book that goes with Rain Second Edition, Rain Realities, in which uh, my wife Rabbit Stoddard and I. Uh, wrote the Gifts of Starlight, Gifts of Stone setting. That's another way that Kickstarter has been very good to us. Mm-hmm. Um, just all kinds of different Kickstarter projects because it's so easy to add a stretch goal where you get you know, a, a freelance writer or two to commit to somewhere between two and 10,000 words and the dollar total of the stretch goal is going to pay their per word. So mm-hmm. I guess we're good. Excuse me, I yeah. need to cough. I'm going to mute myself. Oh. Yeah. Those listening missed out on that incredible cough, but it was quite a cough. But if you're you're watching the YouTube version of this, you still got the catch it, so it's all right. A, a truly, truly heroic cough, I'm sure. It was heroic. Oh. It was. It was. Uh, but I, that's that's awesome, and it's great that Kickstarter. I mean, that's the thing, right? We're just saying Kickstarter gives a lot of opportunities to folks to uh, who aren't maybe in the mainstream um, working with uh, Watsi and, and doing doing the work there. But you recently got to do something with Watsi too, right? I did um, in January of 2020. Mm-hmm. 
when everyone had heard about COVID-19 but didn't yet know really that it was going to be, you know, our lives from here on out, um, I uh, was contacted by Christopher Perkins to uh, potentially write on something that was at the time called Project Microwave. And um, I got to write an adventure for Wizards of the Coast that was uh, published in Candlekeep Mysteries. Very cool. Um, so it's a and that just a, came out like a month or so ago, I guess. Right? That came out in March, so two months yeah, ago. Few, yep. Yeah. Okay. Oh, um, very cool. Excellent. And so that was super exciting. Um, definitely one of the highest profile projects I've ever worked on in as a freelancer. Mm-hmm. Um, and just a real delight. Um, but my work on that ended in about June of 2020. So then all those intervening months, just, I'm sure this is fine. <laughs> it just, we're just waiting for life to get back to normal so that things could yeah, right. kind of move along, right? Yeah. Sure. So we're going to take a, take a slight swivel to the, to the, the right for a moment and uh, talk about um, something a little different, uh, but one of the, not, not different here. Here we, we talk about it all the time, um, and it's a common topic is leadership. So I'm always curious to find out from uh, all, all my different guests, how do you define good leadership, right? We all, we all know what poor leadership is, and we've all have plenty of stories to explain that. But what's good leadership? How, how, does, one, how, does, how does one be a good leader? Yeah, um, I mean, I think that the, the core is um, figuring out uh, the the way that a person most wants to contribute to a project and uh, both help them achieve what they want to contribute and make that part of what everyone else is able to contribute mm-hmm. as much as possible. Um, it's certainly feasible that I want to contribute way more of this than the project needs. Well, sure. Sorry, friend. We'll give you as much space to work on that as we can, but you know, we just don't have room for a 500,000 word lore document to go in this game. Mm -hmm. Um, Not speaking of personal experience (laughs) anyway. Um, no, but I think I think that's great. I think it's a perfectly. I mean, that's an awesome example, right? If letting you know, learning learning what your team wants to do and making that finding ways to incorporate that into the projects and the work that you have, right? So if you know somebody wants more opportunities to write a certain thing or work on a certain thing, then when those opportunities come available, making sure you you know you mark those people for for doing that or. If someone wants more, wants an opportunity to grow in a leadership or whatever, right? Finding moments where they can lead small projects and have an effect and kind of get that experience, but they don't necessarily, they won't necessarily damage the project or anything else by like being too much for them, right? Yeah. So it gives them the room to grow um, and expand and, and pick up new skills uh, while still contributing to the overall goal of the business and everything. I think that's a perfect way that, that you right. have it there. Uh, so, so that I think is like, in, in my head, I, the terms are going to be wrong because I'm not in management spaces. But sure. I think of that as the core of bottom-up leadership. Mm-hmm. That, that's sort of the arrow pointing upward. Um, the core of arrow pointing downward leadership is protecting your people from things that you know 
other groups or higher ups want that aren't reasonable. Of course, right? The, be that right. buffer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's it's the it's a give and take there in leadership, and I think that that is there is definitely a place for it, and it's definitely and I think it happens in project leadership more than anything else, right? Where it's very good that Absolutely. you communicate as a leader, leading a team, what your team is capable of and what they want to do. Uh, or, you know, or think they should do right. So because they're bringing their expertise, like you said, from the bottom and you're communicating that upwards. And then the feedback that you get from above, making sure that it's digested in a way that it can go to your team and, and, and be productive and conducive to, you know, actually getting projects done and not shattering their dreams and hopes and so forth. And uh, yep. yeah, or derailing them because they, it's so such an earth shaking an idea that it is is uncomprehensible to the team why anybody would think that, but you as the manager have to distill that into to truth that is is viable. Or and thinking, help them. <laughs> yeah, thinking back to another of our shared experiences, mm-hmm. um, there's there's also a, a flavor of leadership that is not about being a leader for your specific team, but being a uh, a maximally effective member of a larger team that it is still a leadership task, which is like shaking the tree enough to make other people who are unwilling to do their work do their work. Well, yeah, uh, that 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 one's that's, tough. It's like a motivator, it is tough. right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's really tough, and I'm not really talking about like when when a member of your team, someone who's clearly, you know a direct part of your hierarchy isn't willing to do the work, but more there's this guy over in this other department who is giving me a lot of, no, that's impossible. Well, it's not impossible. You're just not excited enough about it to do the, do the stuff. Sure. That, that is, that is uh yeah, that's a cross-functional team motivation, finding a way to, to communicate to the, to the other team or find the wiggle through the, yeah, the, yeah. the not focus on stuff to get that stuff going. Yeah, but that is—I mean—that is—that is the goal there, right? They're—they're they're, they're helping out. The, ultimately, they're helping out the overall right. company and, and and objectives of of the teams and everybody there, and trying to get every make everyone happy. Uh, in that situation. Yeah. yeah, and reminding everyone involved that no, we all share the same goal of wanting the end product to be as wonderful and successful as possible. Yeah, is is the core of it. Right. Just mm-hmm. it's easy for people to kind of stagnate. Sure. Sure. And it's easy for people to, to say no in the beginning. First thing they do is say no. They, they're gotten used to. They say no. They, yep. they don't have to hear about it or they get a little bit of a stall before they have to hear about it again. Right. Yep. And uh, yeah. But uh, no, it's it's very true. And it, it is an important part of leadership to get to get that to get that going in there. So another another important question, um, not leadership related, um, but a favorite subject of mine is uh, donuts. What is your favorite donut? Uh, I will destroy some Boston creams. Boy, howdy, so would I. Yeah, yeah. Boston creams are, are fab and tabulous. Not gonna lie on that one either. Um, I want to circle back actually to like you mentioned you mentioned something that got you when you got started in Trivality uh, back in the day and it was the the history history of the classes and yep. I like I'm glad you brought that up because 
That was a very fun read, and I highly recommend anybody watching and listening to this that they they actually go back and, and check it out because if you were ever if you've only experienced fifth edition um, and you experience the classes there, don't get me wrong, fifth edition is an excellent edition, and and you know obviously we it it took it took many many journeys and many changes to get to the point where we are now with the classes, but the classes gone yeah the classes have gone through. Many different iterations. Some not so much. Some have pretty much, you know, been been pretty pretty steady. But some had some crazy ups and downs and 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 takes on themselves over uh, Ranger, um, over over the over the years. And I think you did an excellent job. And it was something fascinating to me because I won't lie, I, I tend to play the same classes most of the time nowadays. Uh, and over the years, same. Depend no matter what the edition was. In fact, the only reason I play something different is because they added. Something I think would be it, right? Like Warlord, yep. when they added that, that was yep. became my new my new fave for a while there until they kind of get rid of it and then whatever. Um, so be it. The uh, but, still a sore subject on on the twitters. Be very yeah. careful bringing this up on the twitters. Well, it's an understandable t- sore <laughs> subject because yeah. It, what anyway? But you, 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 you did you did an excellent job. Just maybe talk about that. Like what got you started on doing that? And maybe talk a little bit more in depth than I just kind of highlighted it there of, of yeah. what, what you did and and, and uh, what got you going on that. Because it was it was pretty it's it's pretty cool. It's a, it's an undertaking that only someone who is truly devoted to the to Dungeons and Drive coming from the planet of D D. And 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 being a, a wayward a wayward member of that society, um, to who would study its ancient lores and teachings, and and then put them together into something that's a little bit more digestible uh, for for the new up and coming, uh, and and for those who wish wish also from the planet of D anD D nostalgia a little bit about the yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I mean, the, the main. Um drive here is that I really love crumbling scrolls. Just if a scroll is crumbling as I unfurl it to read the, the, the ancient texts, it's just, it really adds something. Um, but no, what, what happened was um, during um, d- during sort of the span of uh, D&D Next, so this is before I'm writing for Tribality, I'm just writing my own blog. Um, I like, started really digging into, okay, so this ranger thing, they're doing stuff with the ranger. What in God's name are they doing? Um, and the ranger has this identity crisis that goes all the way back. Uh, it does. Uh, it was the first class I ever played, though. Well, That's not so, true. I think the second class I ever played. But, yeah. so, so I wrote this series of three articles in my blog mm-hmm. uh, that were like, just a, a proto-form of history of the classes. I was talking about you know, okay, so this class gets its start in um, one of the earliest um, like magazine articles from Tactical Studies Rules, uh, the Strategic Review, um, that their magazine, right? And so this is it's before this, Dragon and Dungeon Magazine and all that, like, right? Right. It, it's still 1975, right? Even born yet? That's amazing. <laughs> Same. Yeah. Um, and so, so it's this this is incredible, incredibly old thing. It's been in D anD D since as near the beginning as you can mark. Mm-hmm. Like 
it comes into the game at about the same time as the thief. Wow. Right? Okay. Yeah. But but you still see people who argue that it doesn't have a place in D and D. So a lot of that has to do with the, with this identity crisis, um, and like calling it a ranger in its earliest tradition is a very strange move, um, unless you like want to take this very skewed view on who Aragorn is. And it's just, it's a very strange thing. Because straight but, up is Aragorn, right? I mean, that was where it's coming right. from. Its initial concept is clearly supposed to be Aragorn. Mm-hmm. And like even then it's weird because they are both arcane and divine casters. They're, they're both, sorry, magic user and cleric casters mm-hmm. at a certain level. Which, what now? How is Aragorn doing that? Sure. Whatever. And, I, I, took, I took it for cool. favored favorite enemy, so I could have a displacer beast, which was the stupidest choice ever oh, and, but, back then. But you know. but that all comes much later, right? Does it? Um, oh, so okay. so it, it does um, because I'm I'm still talking about original D and D. Oh okay. Right? Oh yeah. Oh, Where right. they can do all of this while wearing plate armor, but they can't have many possessions. It's a whole thing. So there are no stealth rules. There's no hiding rules at this point in the game so -hmm. they aren't sneaky that's not a thing and anyway it just it goes forward edition over edition um kind of bouncing all over the place in how much it is or isn't getting closer to what we have now Mm -hmm. Uh, second edition is where it really picks up the uh preference for two-weapon fighting Uh, Um, that's that's it yeah yeah, yeah. and like lighter armor right right and the the really curious thing about it is that according to the um, designers of second edition, it doesn't have anything in the world to do with Drist Doerden. It's just it is coincidence. Drist is doing all of this two up and fighting because that is a feature of Drow at the time. Yeah, not wow. because it's supposed to be a ranger thing, and they they weren't trying to support as as a Drist thing. They just Thought Rangers should fight with two weapons. Sure. Um, and so they're they're sort of the two weapon or bows class. Mm-hmm. And I remember that. Yeah. Th- and they become sneaky because they get thief skills. This continues on into third. They're the hybrid three. class. Hybrid. Right? They're a hybrid class. Yeah. And Super unfortunately, hybrid. that often often will mean sort of okay at two things, not great at either of them. That's that's always a danger with anything that's mm-hmm. trying to be a hybrid. Um, they get spellcasting starting at eighth level, so late enough that most players don't ever experience it. They mostly experience the ranger as a non-casting class. Mm-hmm. Um, this continues to be a major point of contention in online conversations. You know, uh, should rangers be spellcasting as as a core part of their game loop? Well, D and D has firmly said yes. Fourth edition is the only edition of the game in which rangers are not uh, spellcasters by eighth or ninth level, um, and sometimes quite a bit earlier. Um, in in fifth, they get spells by second level, and no matter how much people argue, like this is the, the this is the the fixed point of of the universe here. It's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, which is not to say that uh, there wasn't a uh, Unrest Arcana article uh, in the very early days of 5th edition with a non-spellcasting ranger. 
uh, and there haven't been multiple uh, articles of Ranger revisions uh, along the way to offer some alternate view of the class that just it digs into its identity crisis in a different way because it's like it's stealthy and light armored, but it's not a rogue. It is tough like a fighter, but doesn't have the AC to, to back that up. They're, they're going to be like um, burning through hit points very quickly, but not the way a barbarian does. Um, they, they could be the party tank, but they can't, but they could. Like it's especially weird in fifth edition, where uh, they only started with uh, two subclasses, and those are very contentious. I was going to say they they weren't they weren't people's favorite subclasses either. Uh, even well, the people who love them really love them. The people who love Beastmaster really love Beastmaster. Beastmaster is just very much about there are right choices and wrong choices, and that kind of system mastery in decision making is in itself contrary to the design ethos of fifth. Mm. <clears throat> so not great. Um, and then the, sorry, I need to cough again. <coughs> um, the decision decisions you make in Hunter are uh, interesting at first, and then they kind of taper weirdly. I don't know. It's it isn't that it's bad. It's that it is all built on a sort of lower point in the Gonzo scale mm-hmm. than the other classes, and that's going to cause like a cause tonal dissonance. Fair enough. Um, but so uh, if you, you want to hear like read a whole history of this, Brandis yeah. has done. Yeah. Done that. If you if you if you weren't if you had any questions about Brandis's chops uh, as far as knowledge base goes on this, you could literally he can talk about this literally for hours on on end. And I've, I I know this for, yeah. for for a fact. And uh, also, the good thing is because he can talk about it for hours on end, he can write about it for days on end and has. Yeah. And so again, I highly recommend checking out his work on. His web blog or Tribality or anywhere else. Just the history of the classes, easily hundreds of thousands of words. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. Uh, He literally covers he covers every class. I I I, you you admit in there. I think you skip a couple things right here and there just because you're like I could talk about this, but I'm going to glance over it because of right relevance. And and I haven't actually finished the series. Uh, I still have to do uh, wizard and cleric and. Barbarian and sorcerer and multiclassing. Man. That may be it. I'm, I'm getting pretty close though. Quit slacking. I know, right? I, I was about I to say you did you did all the good classes, but then you you said you haven't done sorcerer yet. So I guess you you, you still you still won last. I'm I will one. I'll be a wizard fan until the day I die. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of for taste. I understand. <laughs> The uh, so I, one of my questions for a lot of folks is, uh, what's your favorite tabletop system? But I, I mean, I guess we know what it is. But please, maybe maybe tell us what your close second is. So so I have uh, two systems that are uh, always jockeying for for second place, right? Um, for me, those are over the edge. I don't care which edition. I love all. Of, I love 
both the editions I've played. They're actually three editions of Over the Edge. I've played two of them. Uh, the second edition, which came out in 92, and then the 25th anniversary edition, which came out in uh, 2017. I think it actually reached my house in hardcover in 2018. Um, I, I love this game so much. It is conspiracy weirdness set in the modern day, and it is has always been ultra rules light. Mm-hmm. Um, the 25th anniversary found a way to be even more ultra rules light than its predecessors. That's saying something. Okay. Um, and I I can run conspiracy thrillers in this all day long, and I just love it. Um, and and then the one? other the other is Mage of the Awakening. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay, I've, I've run run a couple of um, Awakening Chronicles that have just been a really good time. I love the like still pretty modern day conspiracy weirdness, but here it's more esoteric uh, conspiracy um, and occultism, and it's just it's really really fun. Um, I'm still trying to get my head around the second edition of Awakening. It is very high crunch compared to the already pretty high crunch first edition mm-hmm. and it kind of makes my eyes bleed but i want to understand it because i want to get to run mage again and there were problems with first that i think they're trying to address and i appreciate that but um i'm just a huge fan of both of those there are other systems i like also uh, sure. but th- those three are kind of my uh my trifecta okay and what about and what about when it comes to video games? What's uh, what oh are, my gosh. What are you playing? So yeah, I'll listen, so, uh, that's a, that's a big one. But okay, just yeah. like what what maybe I figure, what are you, what are you playing right now? And what what's your go to fallback if you like you know if you got to be trapped on an island how to play a game again or something or whatever? Yeah. All right. So so if I were going to be stuck with uh, one game for an unsteadily large amount of time. Um, well, I mean, I might actually finish a playthrough of Planescape Torment if I were trapped on an island for a long time. Um, I love games like Hollow Knight. Like, just just give me a Metroidvania, and I'll be happy for a long, long time. Sure, um, sure. I like Metroidvanias myself. Yeah. Um, and then you've got you've got your Dark Souls, that is the very high difficulty, not two D Metroidvania, right? Um, yeah. But like the similarities between Hollow Knight and Dark Souls sort of explain themselves. One is 2D, the other isn't. That's most of it. Um, and um, right now I'm also playing uh, Dead Cells, which is uh, a... Um, yeah, how, how is that? It, it, it's it's sort of blending uh, roguelite and uh, Souls-like in, okay. in an interesting way, and that's that's pretty great. It doesn't become metroidvania because exploring doesn't like stay fixed it's it's a roguelite but it's really good the action is fast paced and fluid and that feels very good um the the aesthetics are very strong so do recommend um nice and then also things like slay the spire and monster train um those uh roguelike uh, deck builders those are those are really my deal. I'm way into okay. those. Um, but then you've got things like Pillars of Eternity. I love Pillars of Eternity. That that old school, um, like the the line that runs straight through um, uh, Planescape Torment and 
Baldur's Gate, Nicewind Dale, yep, through Pleasure Eternity. Like, yeah, of course I love that. Mm-hmm. That, that strong writing and um, like decision-making, dungeon-crawling, that, that's absolutely my deal. Cool. Uh, no, no surprise there. It's no, all not at all. very not at D&D all. inflected. Of course, of course. So another another question I like to ask folks um, is uh, how do you find your zen? Like how do you find the calm in your life? I, I know you're, you know, you're you're busy writing. You have you have a heavy heavy work life, but you have a family life too, right? You have you have yep. a wife. You mentioned. Yeah, I know you have kids. So like, yep. how do you find some zen, especially after a year like twenty twenty, um, where you just there wasn't a lot of escaping that. So uh, how do well, you how do you escape into your your own you know. Well, so it's interesting you'd ask me that right now because it's something I've been struggling with a lot lately. Um, But we we went on a a few days of vacation to go see my wife's parents. Um, And then my parents uh, kept our our boys for a few days. Mm -hmm. Um, My wife's dad is still recovering from COVID. And... uh, so they just really needed some some extra support from us, yeah. and uh, we went down there for several days. And um, while we're down there, um, I, I got the you know, sinus infection that's causing the cough you've been hearing all, all day. Um, but also, uh, we watched the movie About Time um, with uh, Donald Gleason and uh, Rachel McAdams, mm-hmm. and um, it really like struck me just the right way. Um, I had uh, my first conversation with uh, a therapist. I'm I'm, going to therapy for the first time. Um, And um, then we also finished our, uh, like as soon as we got back, we finished our series run of the good place. Some of our our third series run. Mm -hmm. And uh, those, those three things, two media experiences and a really good conversation mm-hmm. uh, really recentered me in, awesome. in an important way and helped me to take a break from some of the things in, in my life and especially in my creative work that really are like, otherwise I can't let go. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I really struggle when I complete a creative project not to try to keep solving problems better and think about how I could do it better next time or I, I came so close to getting it right. Sure. And that, that's being a game designer, but it, also it, it, a I mean, particular it, it is. Set, set of being a big, certain, certain mental state of game designer. Not all game designers are like right. that, but I understand. It's, it's a common well, trait. Well, right. And like, in, 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 in tabletop gaming and in video gaming, you can at least release a new edition. But mm-hmm. in a performance art, like a live-action role-playing game, I can't ever do it again because, sure. because it was just that time and moment. There's no way. No mm-hmm. amount of dedication actually lets me fix that thing. That we know but, of yet. But, right. But, but emotionally, I can't let go of that. Sure. Um, but About Time is a movie about – like acceptance and releasing regrets. Hmm. And so that was very meaningful to me at the time. Yeah. Um, And so um, I've I've actually like after being, being in some kind of rocky places emotionally for 
honestly, the past year and change. Um, I'm actually doing great right now. I mean, physically, I'm still, still a dang mess, but um, emotionally, I'm better than I've been in a while. That's awesome to hear. I'm really happy for you, man. That's really good. Yeah. Excellent. So I'm going to switch to a not so serious question after that very serious answer and important. But uh, so what do you, what do you, but, but I, I am really glad to hear that, uh, that uh, you're doing, you're doing better after it's, I think it's rock, rocky year for everyone. And I oh, think for everyone's sure. for sure. trying to come out of it the best way they and, can. So, and like yeah. my, my difficulties aren't greater than anyone else's. I would never mean to imply that. No, right. I didn't think he did at all. So don't worry about that. Again, everyone is everyone is doing their the best they can with the life that they've got and and the cards <laughs> that they're dealt with, right? And so we just all need to be supportive of each other in that manner for a hundred percent for that. For sure. Um, and so I was going to ask you uh, what what do you put on your hot dog actually next <laughs> to lighten the mood, but uh, but you know, <laughs> uh, so usually. Uh, uh, Mustard, ketchup and mustard, or just sriracha? Ooh, sriracha. Okay. It's not bad. It's not bad. But, yeah, but I do good. love a good chili dog, too. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. The ketchup thing still keeps confusing the hell out of me, but at least you mix it with mustard still. Mustard still. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. The, so, the, people... People who did not have the good fortune of of being born on the planet of D and D, and maybe haven't had the years of of uh, you know immersion in in Dungeons and Dragons, but loves tabletop, loves D and D, are really into it nowadays. They want they you know they're they're looking to the kind of like either get started as a writer, do do things in the space, do what you do, but maybe, you know, obviously, you know, I think a lot of my guests prove that it's, it's not overnight, right? It's a lot of its dedication, oh, yeah. but if they want to get started, what would you, what would you turn, what would you tell a young, a young Brandis if he was, you know, just, just coming about the days, like what, what would you recommend to someone just getting started into the D and D or tabletop role-playing community or gaming yeah. community in general? Like how how would they get started? Where would you recommend they start? So okay, um, in in some ways it's the best time we, we've ever had to get started, and in some ways there's some things that we've we've lost a little bit. Like um, blogging now isn't where it was. Um, there was a, a golden age of gaming blogging um, that s- sort of sparked off in 2008 ish and ran through. Uh, about 2013, um, a lot of gaming blogs have closed their doors, um, though we're still kicking pretty hard over at uh, Tribality. Um, so I, I, I'm not really going to say go start a gaming blog. If that's your passion, then God bless you. But um, what you do have now that we didn't have mm-hmm. in any of that time is the DMs Guild. Okay. Um, the, the open gaming license that will help you publish on um, DriveThruRPG or uh, itch.io or whatever, that's mm-hmm. great. That That's wonderful. Um, it's constraining in some ways, and it can be much harder to uh, like drag your reading audience to just DriveThruRPG or itch.io to buy your product. Mm-hmm. Um, though, of course, you can do free or pay what you want if that's if that's where you are with it. I don't recommend it. 
I do recommend charging a, a flat fee for your work, even if you're a beginner. I'm very serious mm -hmm. about this. Okay. But but I want to be very explicit about what what the options are. Sure. I think it's, I think it's important. Mm -hmm. So the DMs Guild, um, you're getting a smaller cut of your uh, of your retail price, but since you have no manufacturing cost per unit, uh, the odds are pretty good that you'll sell two to three times as much um, just because the DMs Guild community mm. is pretty good at driving audience to product. Um, that, that's been my experience. Obviously, I can't speak to everyone's experience. Sure. I've been doing my best to build an audience through blogging and uh, writing on the bird site for uh, a long time now. Mm -hmm. And so if I look like an overnight success, it's because it's taken me, you know, 11 years. Exactly. Um, exactly. Very, right? very few people, even if they don't want to attribute all the hard work that they did earlier, yep. it still takes time to get, to build up the skills, the reputation, the yep. exposure, the everything. And, that's there. And I, I mean, I've been incredibly lucky in, mm -hmm. in my friendships. I've had friends who have, uh, done me huge favors in, hey, I've got more work in this thing than I can handle. Can you come split this with me? I'll put you in contact with this publisher. We'll have more work for you in the future. That's how I started writing for Write Publishing. Mm -hmm. So I started working for Tribality, thanks to a man named Rich Howard, a uh, very dear friend yeah. of mine. Um, working for Write Publishing is how I met Dan Dillon, who mm -hmm. uh, now works for Wizards of the Coast. And uh, so he talks to people who need a third-party developer, and it's obviously not where he can legally take on. That's not how Wizards of the Coast works. Sure. Um, but you know, he saw that I'm going to get my work done. I'm going to do it to as high a standard of quality as you know, my my capacity allows, mm -hmm. and so he can feel good about giving my name to other people. Right. So would you would you say networking and networking. not being a bad person, being a generally yes, likable person would, would would be would be a good tip for uh, for people yep. starting off in the yep. per, uh, per, perhaps don't piss off a lot of people in the community because it's a yep. small community. It's a big. It's a growing community, but it's yep. a small community. Still. Well, the actual like DMs Guild Creative community mm -hmm. is is still real tiny. Yeah, it's real tiny for people who get past about one or two products. So it's absolutely uh, network and be a decent human. Uh, say what you're going to do and do what you, do what you say. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, like that, that kind of just honesty is very crucial. You need people to trust you. You mm -hmm. need them to trust that you're going to get done what you say you're going to get done when you say you're going to do it. Yeah, it's, it's good. Good work ethic, right? Yep. You know, yep. and being and being a freelancer, I think it can be it be it's it's the tough steps. So if you've never never been a freelancer, it's definitely a different setup. You know, consulting is different, very different than a nine to five per se. And you have to have a you know a very strong work ethic on your own to kind of deliver and meet deadlines and things like that. And even though you well, have a lot of freedom. Yep. And, and the wild thing about the guild is that you're working mm -hmm. for yourself. Right? Exactly. There's no yeah, one yeah. who's gonna come scold you, you for yeah. 
not getting the thing done unless you're part of a collaborative project. Mm-hmm. If if you're the boss, then like that thing doesn't get released until you finish it, and you've got to live with whatever you put in it. Yeah. So, yeah. um, that that's a big deal. It's it's really important. It is. I agree. <laughs> any any other advice? Um, like my my intro to writing in games and and all of this. Is is now fifteen years in the rearview mirror? Maybe it'll mm-hmm. a little bit more. So it was January of two thousand five when I started working on Dunning Star Operation Quick Launch with Lee. Mm-hmm. Um, so any advice I would give is so dated now as to ah. not be super helpful. I um, even, well, I would. Oh, I disagree, but that's fair. If you you know, I, I think your advice you've given right there is is good. I, but I, I don't think it's repeatable in that way. Is what I'm trying sure, to say. Sure, sure, sure. But I mean, like in essence, like if you know folks that are, are working on stuff and you're interested, let people know, right? Oh, for sure, for sure. And then and then get involved. And then I know you're talking about like professional tabletop, but you mentioned briefly LARPing and stuff like that, right? Yep. I mean, there's other ways to write. I mean, there's lots of other games oh, out sure. there. There's more than D and D. There's other things that you can write for. Maybe yep. it's a smaller audience, but there's maybe an easier in in that mm-hmm. environment than yep. than, than I, others, I definitely right? know people who've been very successful. In the um, in the indie sphere, mm-hmm. um, that's it can definitely work. Um, if you can get the if you get the the foothold of an audience, just you know some people who will help proselytize for you, yep. and um, if you have a good grabby pitch, Kickstarter man, yeah, sure, sure. beginning beginning middle and end of the conversation. <laughs> like then, then all you have to do is deliver when you say you're going to deliver, and the audience will come back because they if had to give you their mail address. Yeah, they had to if give you their mailing that. addresses. Yeah, yeah. If you deliver, the audience <laughs> will come back for the second product because you've got their mailing addresses. Yeah, exactly. You got their mailing addresses, email, mailing. You have a way to contact them again, right? It's uh, a lot. A lot of folks will talk about this in other places. Have a mailing list. Create, mm-hmm. Start building a mailing list of your own. Have it on your website. The thing is, is like Facebook, other pl- like uh, platforms can go away and shut down or lock you out, but they can't take your mailing list away from you. So create a mailing list. Oh, look, we got a special guest. I do. I do. We would get one eventually. So, but we're coming through the end anyway. So it's all right. But it's good. It's good to get a special guest in there. The uh, but Brandis, maybe tell everybody um, one more time. <laughs> And it'll be in the notes, and it'll be elsewhere, all over when we are posting this this uh, podcast and this YouTube um, video. But where can everyone find you? Tell all all the places that uh, the world can, if they were looking to learn and read more about Fifth Edition or any edition in the history of it and so forth. Where do they find Brandon Stoddard on the internet? Well, so uh, all of that history. Nope. Start that again. Sorry about that. No I worries. the wrong button. Uh, so, okay. Brandis, tell us, where can they find you on the interwebs? Yeah. So all of that history writing is on uh, tribality.com. Um, you can also find my writing on brandisstoddard.com. Uh, on Twitter, the bird site, I'm at brandisstoddard. Uh, I also have a Patreon that is brandisstoddard. There are real benefits to having an unusual name, folks. Um, I'm on um, Facebook and MeWe, but um, I don't do 
as much really gaming writing there and we're just reposting. Yeah. I think you can just catch it. Most of most of the stuff goes goes up on the on the bird site, as you said. Yep. Check him out on at, at his personal blog. Become a Patreon. Tell me a little bit about that. For, and, and Brandon's Patreon support is is he's not asking a lot actually, folks. And you get the see you get the goods earlier. So maybe talk a little bit about that real fast before we. So so yeah, um, my Patreon um, is just uh, kicking me a few bucks to support writing that's going to be free anyway. Um, yeah. Nothing is exclusive. It's just three days early. Yeah. Um, for for that's, that's what you get for one dollar. For five dollars, you get to see some works in progress that I haven't turned into completed works yet. And they're fun. They're fun. They're good reads. They're yeah. really good reads. Um, I've I've been pretty consistent about uh, two releases per month. Uh, you also get um, my DMs Guild releases uh, for free as a member of my Patreon. Um, and then we also had uh, like Tribality had a uh, PDF release that was just part of the Tribality Patreon, but we also released it through my Patreon. Awesome, very cool. So, right. yeah. Well, thank you so much, Brandis. Really appreciate you being on here today and taking the time and and giving us a, a brief a brief history lesson of some D and D there, and 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 your <laughs> at least the and in your your history too, which is. Not quite as extensive, but almost as extensive as D and D, it seems. So, well, so, I don't yeah. go back to 1974, but yeah, uh, brother, it's been a delight to talk to you. Um, I definitely have enjoyed getting to uh, play some tabletop games with you again online during this yep. pandemic. It's been it's been wonderful, and it's uh, always good times. I'm a big fan of it myself too. Yep, Keep I hope that, I hope that I will see you stateside again sometime in the future. Yeah, that might be 2022. But we'll see. We'll see how hey, man, we'll, see, we'll, see, we'll see how the borders how the borders lighten up in a bit, or you know, my immunity. Yeah, man. Anyway, cool. Thanks again so much. Awesome. That's this week's episode of Press Start Leadership Podcast. As always, thanks for being awesome. And if you haven't yet, make sure to give us a follow. Till next time. If you haven't downloaded my free ebook, Five Heroic Leadership Skills, click on the link in the description. Tune in next week for your next episode of Press Start Leadership Podcast. Thank you. Oh, hi there. The episode's over, but thanks for sticking around till the end. If you're on the quest to elevate your team's leadership, production, or game design capabilities, I'm here to assist. Leveraging extensive experience and a strategic approach, I offer personalized audits, bespoke workshops, and leadership retreat facilitation to drive your team toward excellence. My commitment is to provide efficient, reliable, and proven support, ensuring you have the tools and insights needed to thrive. Ready to unlock your team's full potential and achieve unparalleled success? Don't hesitate to press start on your journey to transformation today. Feel free to reach out directly to discuss how we can tailor a solution to meet your unique needs and goals. Let's connect and take your team's performance to the next level.